1: fantasy question email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com get ready to win your league Where
2: fantasy becomes
1: reality. now here's adam scott heath and chris welcome in everybody let's do a little fantasy baseball talk here fantasy baseball today after dark it's almost 10 p.m that means we're gonna get some good wacky scott white
3: what's up scott white Ah, uh, don't don't set expectations too high, Adam. It's no. never a good thing. All right. All right. We'll get some,
1: some decent Scott White. We got Chris Towers in the house as well. Chris is going to be his normal self today.
2: Set the expectations incredibly <laughs> high so you can know how my parents feel when I fail to live up to them. <laughs> Oh, man. Chris is... Uh, Ooh, getting dark. Chris is... <laughs> yeah, well, it's after dark, so... It's well, well after dark.
1: I'm Adam Azer, by the way. Welcome to the show, Fantasy Baseball Today. Here's the quick programming schedule. Well, actually, here's what's coming up on today's show. We'll, uh, we'll talk about the idiot who didn't put Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame, and Hero. mostly... T- mostly first base tiers and second base tiers first base and second base will explain tiers why they are important and what they look like at first and second base we'll also talk about some prospects Scott's favorite prospects in 2020 so um and your emails at fantasy baseball at cbsi.com gonna try for three episodes this week next week's gonna be tough because we're you know we're all gonna be doing super Bowl stuff in Miami. Well.
2: You are. Yeah. You're freaking big timing us. I'm not even sure who's in the Super Bowl. You're just showing up to, oh, guys, I can't do the podcast. Wait, you're not doing doing Super Bowl stuff, Chris? No,
1: man. I live in New York. Okay, then Chris and Scott will have at least two episodes for you. So that's no problem. I'm, I'm assigning that homework to you. But let's get started. Here we go. Derek Jeter and Larry Walker were elected to the Hall of Fame. Whatever. Jeter got all but one vote. It's just stupid. People are stupid. Love it. It's stupid. The uh, Los Angeles City Council approved a resolution to award the last two World Series titles to the Dodgers. Even stupider. Oh, Even stupider.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, uh, they sound like they don't have pressing enough issues, but considering it's the second biggest city in the United States, I think they probably do.
2: <laughs> Why? Why would the Dodgers get the Nationals World Series? <laughs> oh, right.
3: I'm sorry.
1: 2017 and 18. You know, they're not the only teams. They're not the only team that lost to the cheating Red Sox and Astros, you know. Obviously, the Yankees should get both World Series. And Nolan Arenado is angry. This is much more important. I'm not sure if we brought this up, Scott, when we were debating Nolan Arenado. Like, why is he going 8th or ninth in ADP when he just had another amazing year? Uh, I don't know if I said this. I meant to say it like a 100 times. I think we brought it up. Okay, he might get traded. I I
3: think I dismissed it as, eh. Oh, okay. I I don't don't think he's probably getting traded. And if he does, we'll talk about it then. That was kind of my thinking, but I feel now. Well, I. So I get. I, I wasn't sure what he was upset about at first. I mean, there was a. a the GM was public about how they're kind of putting to rest their uh, their Nolan Arenado trade discussions for the time being, and then Arenado was saying he feels disrespected. So I assumed. Uh, what well, did that mean? He was like asking for a trade then which would be weird after signing a long-term contract but apparently he's i mean uh, just unhappy with i think the Rockies are one of only two teams that hasn't signed a free agent of any kind this offseason and so the lack of um, i guess i guess transactions happening but you know that that might be the equivalent now of him basically asking for a trade i don't know if he's if he's expressing public discontent um but then, you know, that's at the same time them saying they're not going to trade him, and ultimately, it's their decision. So I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be headbutting all year or what.
1: Well, he's a lot worse on the road. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, all, all Rockies hitters would be.
1: Um, yeah. Well, I guess I and, can go through the numbers.
2: You have to. Th- so I, I've got a, a a lot of thoughts. Can I, can I have, can,
1: can I, I can I give thoughts? some, can I give some road stats? Give though? some numbers All right, while you're so let's, looking them up. Let's Is look at the, air? I have them. Let's look All at right. the last four seasons on the road. All right, let's go five. Starting in 2015, 835 OPS, 832 OPS, 886 OPS, 772 OPS, and then last year, um, 867. So usually around 860 or so. 860 OPS with no steals is not that good of a player. Not like like a borderline starter. Not saying that that's what he would be if he got traded, but that's just not a valuable player basically.
2: So, in fantasy. Some thoughts. One, all hitters hit better at home than on the road. I mean, not all hitters, that's not true, but the hitting pool uh as a collective, uh last season had an 18-point gap in home to road OPS. Now that's not nearly as significant as Nolan Arnado's. Can I, but pause, the other can thing I hit have...
1: pause here? Okay, it, not an actual pause. I think I'm really underselling an 860 OPS. It's absolutely relevant. So please yeah. scratch what I just said.
2: <laughs> yeah, because it's, thank it's you for
1: bringing that up. It's definitely well, it, things have changed. Like 860 is not what it used to be. I think if but you're still,
0: it,
2: it's still pretty good. But Like, it, Manny Machado would kill to have an 860 OPS right now. Okay, so an 860 OPS... Wow. O- That's probably an overstatement, too, if we're going to be... An 860 tech.
3: OPS uh, with, like,
1: three steals, two or three steals, is probably a top, like, 70-ish player, something like that?
2: Yeah, it depends on, like, if he has... Like, Nolan Arenado profiles as the kind of hitter who might have uh, an overabundance of RBI relative to that kind of production overall, just because he's so contact-oriented for a power hitter. But, you know... Before you so rudely interrupted me, I have multiple... But I think we need to... I I think we
1: need to go... I think we need to really appreciate how stupid of a statement I just made. Like, I just called the guy who voted against Jeter and the city council of Los Angeles idiots. I deserve to be imbe- like humiliated, publicly shamed for saying what I just said. So, so, so I'm now doing i have, it now.
2: I have another thought on that. <laughs> okay, you're, the floor is yeah, yours, I don't, don't want to take it... The building up. I, I don't think, think we to need to release some personal. pressure here. Yeah, this is. I'm going to blow. <laughs> the floor yeah. is yours, uh, go ahead. One, if we were going to get sidetracked every time you said something stupid... Right. We might need to launch a, a new podcast. <laughs> okay, so, so stupid. I can't believe I said that. All right, <laughs> go on. And then uh so in addition to the fact that hitters as a whole hit better at home than they do on the road obviously there are exceptions to everything but for the most part that holds true it's about 20 points per season uh home to road much bigger at course field but one thing that there's been a lot of research that's shown i think al melchior a uh, friend of the pod has uh talked about this a lot is the course hangover effect which is basically that hitters who play in cores you know home hitters as well as away hitters and i think the it's actually. it might even be more pronounced for home hitters, the series after they play at Coors Field, they tend to hit dramatically worse than their typical expectations. And so there is something about hitting at Coors that makes you even worse when you get away from Coors. And so it, it can tend to even heighten the disparity between uh, home and road production. And then I'll point out, you know, Matt Holliday is a good example of someone who left Coors mm-hmm. Field in his prime, Mm-hmm. had a like an a 940 OPS, it looks like, in his time at Coors field, 26 homers per year, 96 runs, 97 RBI. His next five seasons after leaving course, his average fell 15 points, but he still still hit 304, and he still had a 910 OPS. So yes, you should expect some regression wherever Nolan Aronado lands if he yeah. does get traded. But my thought initially hearing this is there is probably going to be too much overcorrection with Nolan Arenado if he gets traded. You're already seeing, you know, in my uh, FSGA tra- uh, league, he got drafted 24th overall, and that was before mm. the the latest round of uh, discontent in this winter of Nolan Arenado's discontent. And so uh, <laughs> he, I think, like it wouldn't shock me if we saw him fall into like the 40 range if he got traded. Yeah. And I give me all of that, right? Oh, I agree. I mean, Matt Holliday basically went from being a first rounder
3: to a borderline second, third after leaving Colorado, um, and and that's I think how I'd value Arenado if he got traded. Like he would drop from probably my number one third baseman to three. I I'd definitely put him behind Bregman and Rendon, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be this bottoming out. It's uh, I I think if you look back at all the star level players who left Colorado and went elsewhere. Um, by and large, they remain star-level players elsewhere. Uh, the biggest exception I can think of to that is Vinny Castilla, who was a pretty one-dimensional hitter, and it wasn't terribly surprising that he dropped off as dramatically as he did.
2: Yeah, and like, Larry Walker mm-hmm. did drop off, but he was still amazing, and he right. was old. Yeah. He was very old. Yeah, so uh,
1: le- you know what? Like, I think let's save this, shelve this debate for if he does get traded, but you think you guys have made good points? Fair enough. I'm the only one who has made a really bad point. So just, you know, keep that in mind and let's uh let's move on. Um I think we're pretty much done with news and notes, right? What was the no. last last thing? Two oh. The, the Braves signed Felix Hernandez to a minor league deal, right? Yeah, that. Not the biggest Braves news. No. What I
3: happened? Think you missed something, Adam. Oh, what happened? It just happened a few hours ago. Mm. But the Braves have a new cleanup hitter to take Josh Donaldson's place in the lineup. It's not El Elton Nolan Arenado. It is uh, Marcelo Zuna. They agreed to a one-year deal. One-year deal. Marcelo Zuna, for some reason, was willing to take a one-year deal. I'd be interested in finding out more about that in the future. But, yeah, one-year deal with the Braves, and uh, is going to bat in the middle of their lineup. And that, as a Braves fan, I find that very exciting because um, upon taking another look at his numbers from last year, uh, which yeah, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he was a productive player, basically must start. His batting average ended up in the 240 range because of just a horrendous September. Um, but he was a solid fantasy option last year. And then if you look at the expected stats versus the actual stats, it's one of the biggest discrepancies you'll see in all the majors. His uh his x ex- his actual batting average, like I said, 241. Not very good. His ex-batting average was 288. So he, he should have been a good source of batting average, and he was actually a very bad one. His WOBA was 336. His ex-WOBA was 382, which was top 20 among ex-WOBAs in all of baseball. So in terms of how he was impacting the ball, it was like an elite player. And now he's in a much deeper lineup. I shouldn't say much deeper, but a deeper lineup. He's in a better park for hitters. And I think his stock is up with this move. Jorge Soler or Marcel Ozuna? I'm going to take Soler. I'd take Ozuna. But you know I really like Soler. I do. Okay. Let me see. uh, Let me get
1: some ADP up here. By the way, great start to the podcast for me. Did that stupid Arenado thing and did not even know about the uh, Marcelo Zuna th- uh, deal. It's
2: so. okay, Adam. Nobody... It's fine.
1: I was researching first and second baseman for the last two well, and a half hours. While you're looking stuff Michael up, Conforto I, I or Marcelo Zuna?
3: Ozuna. Yeah. Okay. But that was... Uh, no, actually, I think I had Conforto ahead. I'm going to have to look at that again. I'm going to okay. have to look at that. They're again. going back to back in 80. That's the right range, I think. Um. But yeah, there there is kind of a ripple effect here because obviously... One of Ender NCRT and Nick Markekis is out of the Braves lineup. Probably, you know, assuming they both stay there and NCRT doesn't become trade bait, it'll be a timeshare to some degree. Uh, But NCRT has a great glove in center field, so I'm guessing he'll get the bulk of the playing time there. Nick Markekis obviously was a fringy mixed league option, and I would expect he's not going to be a mixed league option at all now. Okay.
1: So Marcelo Zuna to the Braves. Can we talk about first base tiers now? We can. All right. They still have first base, right? I didn't miss anything? They didn't, like, change the
3: position? Well, you know, Anthony Rizzo a few years ago.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, that thing. Hey, I'm going to give you a hot take. Ooh. I think I'd rather have Freddie Freeman than Cody (gasps) Belancher. That's that's piping hot, that take. Don't burn yourself on that take.
1: I mean, Freddie Uh, Freeman is... Oh, Chris, yeah? What do you think about that take?
2: It's just the steals. I I think that's the biggest thing. Like, Cody Bellinger, you know, stole 15 bases last year. I think that's two years in a row in that range. It wouldn't shock me to see him get 20 in a career year. Um, But in terms of just the quality of the bat, it it wouldn't surprise me if Freeman had him beaten, you know, probably three out of the five categories. Okay. It wouldn't surprise me. I'd
3: definitely bet against it. I mean, Cody Bellinger's power... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I would give level.
2: I would give Ballinger the home runs and the, and the stolen base. And while you know, much has been made
3: about okay, look at his batting average the first two months versus the last four. I, he, his strikeout rate was considerably lower all season long, and he definitely improved as a contact hitter. And the the expected stats support the season line where he's hitting where he was a 305 hitter. So yeah, maybe he was crazy, unsustainably good out of the out of, right off the right out of the gate, but. Um, I think this is a situation where the full season stats are more predictive than the part partial season stats. And, and he's the defending MVP, so I, I shouldn't need to talk him up too much.
1: All right. I, look, for the record, I, I actually would rather have Bellinger than Freeman. I just wanted to say something kind of fun and get people's uh, minds rolling a little bit. So here's, here's what I want to say. Bellinger was the number one first baseman in fantasy. Freeman was number two. Bellinger was the number—he was a top three hitter. Two in points, three in roto. Freeman was a top 10 hitter. Now, you talked we did an episode what you may have missed in September or August and September, and what you may have missed was Freddie Freeman playing through an arthroscopic or th- playing through an injury in his elbow that required arthroscopic surgery, and he hit 264 and slugged 389 in September. So, if I take his first first 5 months and I give him I always do 155 game pace, not 162 game pace. I give him 155 games based on what he did in his first 5 months. His numbers are pretty similar to Bellinger's who played 156 games. Bellinger had like six more points in batting average. Um, Freeman was on pace for 41 home runs. Bellinger hit 47. Freeman did have more runs plus RBIs. Freeman was on pace for seven steals. Bellinger had 15 of them. Bellinger had more walks, slightly fewer strikeouts. Bellinger was definitely better, no question. It wasn't that big of a gap when Freeman was healthy. When Freeman was healthy... He was hitting 299 and on pace for 41 home runs and 31 doubles. Like, he's he's amazing. And, and I really think that you look at his last four seasons, he looks like a 38 ish homer guy, except for one year where he had an extremely low home run to fly ball rate. I don't think the home runs were that big of a fluke. Uh, and then, is there any risk with Bellinger? The only thing I can see is that he's played three seasons. In one of them, he was horrible against lefties. So I went into 2008, uh, 19. Pretty high on Bellinger's. I said if he just hits better against lefties, you know he's gonna be he's gonna be awesome. He was awesome against lefties in 2017 and 19. So I, I guess like that's just an X factor. Freeman's pretty much always great against lefties. Last year was a little bit down, but usually great. Um, I could see that going wrong for him. Freeman has been, I think, an extremely
3: underrated one of the best hitters in baseball for basically four straight years. I mean, he's a first rounder for me, so. I guess from that perspective, there's not – it's not a huge gap between the two. Since this is a tiers discussion, I do tier them. I do put them in distinct tiers. They each have a tier to themselves. Um, The names I give my tiers, I have Cody Bellinger as one of the super elite, which is – I add the super distinction to kind of separate the – the guys who I think are slam dunk top half of the first round guys versus those that could go in the first round or second round, you know, there's, there's a bit more of a cluster there. And I think Freeman's part of that, that cluster, but because, you know, you have those two at the top and I think there's a pretty big drop off to the third guy. Um, I, I would pro I would prioritize Freeman over, uh, any of the third baseman in a standard five by five league. I would probably put Bregman ahead of him in a points league just because Bregman's plate discipline is so good. So we'll see how that goes uh, now that things have changed in Houston. <laughs> but for now, I'm going to say it's going to be about the same, and uh, and I would take Bregman over Freeman in that format. But standard five-by-five, five, I would take Freeman ahead of them because I, you know, first base is, is a thinner position than third base, and that's true at the top as well as mm-hmm. in the middle.
2: Freeman is kind of the the guy... <clears throat> It's weird to say, but it's kind of the guy that you'll end up settling for because at least in the handful of drafts I've done, especially when Scott's not there in the second half of the first round, he tends to fall a little more. You know, his ADP right now is 16th in the very early fantasy pro stuff. I got him at 20th in an FSGA draft last week, and I'm thrilled.
3: (laughs) I'm really curious who else uh, went there. You know what? I'm going to guess it was... There was a, a lot of run. base dealers. There, was was, there was a
2: pitcher. There run yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in that stretch, but there was also like Degrom, Scherzer, Bueller, Verlander, and Clevenger, and Strasburg all went before him. Yeah, that's and then Trey Turner. I think and that's Jose gonna Ramirez. be
3: unusual. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I do expect the high end pitchers to go for more of a premium
3: this year than years past, just because a lot of people suffered by not having enough last year. But I think that was an extreme case of it. We'll see as more mock drafts happen. That's that's my initial impression.
1: When do you take Cody Bellinger? Where is he in your overall rankings?
3: I take him uh, fourth overall, generally speaking. In a points league, I actually have Acuna behind him because Acuna's plate discipline isn't up to the level of the other uh, other hitters in that range. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Acuna is the... In traditional Roto five x five leagues, he's the uh, the consensus number one pick. So obviously I have him ahead of Bellinger in that format. Okay.
1: Last thought on uh, Freeman is I, I think he's safer in, in points leagues because his play discipline's so good and if he doesn't hit a lot of home runs, he'll probably hit forty five doubles. You know, he'll probably those will probably turn into doubles, so that'll help yeah. you in the points leagues.
3: But I mean he's he's, he's, a he's one of the average guy. Right. He's one of the most oh, reliable great. sources of batting average. And although people freak out about steals, I think, I honestly think batting average is a bigger priority in the early rounds because you're not going to find a high average guy who, you know, unless that's really all he gives you, in in the later rounds. Mm -hmm. Like that's a category you have to fill early. Right.
1: Okay. So, but I, I, you know, we this is a tiers discussion. So, yeah, first base is is really people are going to say it's deep, but I don't know because there is a big drop off. It seems the super elite is Cody Bellinger. The elite is Freddie Freeman. And then, Chris, what do you think about this tier of Scots? The near elite. Pete Alonso, Anthony Rizzo, Josh Bell, DJ LeMayhew, Max Muncie, Matt Olson, and Carlos Santana, who would be a tier lower, by the way, Carlos Santana in a categories league. We always know he's better yeah. at points league. Yep. But that's a big yep. tier of near elite. Pete Alonso, Anthony Rizzo, Josh Bell, DJ LeMayhew, Max Muncie, Matt Olson, Carlos Santana.
2: Yeah, and it's worth noting, like, Carlos Santana is going to go well behind that, and you know, especially Roto, like, yeah. he's 125th right he, w- he would be a tier low to- lower in Roto. Um, yeah. But he might go, like, towards the end of the next tier. Uh, sure. Nobody seems particularly excited about him. My favorites in that tier are probably Muncy and Bell, and it's no surprise that they're also, you know, with the exception of Santana, the two guys going latest. In your your right favorite now. or your favorite value? Uh, cuz like you favorite, like them better yeah, than Pete. My favorite one's the draft. Okay, Although you, I'm yeah. not certain that like I'm not certain that Max Muncie won't be better than Anthony Rizzo this season. I'm not certain that Josh Bell won't be better than uh,
1: Matt Olson. Well that's the point of the tiers, right? I mean the tiers is you right. should be having that discussion where anyone in the tier, you know, you could see finishing ahead of someone else and right. that means you should wait and get the draft value, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And that's why where, where like Pete Alonzo going thirty spots ahead of anyone else in this tier right now just kind of takes him off my board. Scott, I'm
1: surprised yeah. that that Pete Alonzo quite frankly doesn't have his own tier. You know? Like Bellinger well, one tier, Freeman one tier, and then Alonzo.
3: Yeah. Well it it was already a bit of a faux pas that I gave two guys their own separate tiers at the top, because if you start giving Tiering each player individually, you kind of you kind of lose the purpose of the tiers too. I considered having Alonzo a tier higher just for Roto, kind of like I had Santana a tier higher just for for head to head points, but um, ultimately I decided there was enough possibility of him regressing from that that outlier home run total that I, I'm I'm just. I don't feel that much worse about having Matt Alonso as my first baseman. Like it, it seems perfectly feasible. Matt Alonso. I'm sorry, Olson, Matt Olson. Yeah, it, it seems perfectly feasible. Olson could out homer Alonso this year.
1: Yeah, I like Max Muncy too. I mean, Max Muncy, two straight years hitting around 255 with 35 homers and playing in 137, 141 games, uh, great on base percentage. So, um, yeah, Alonso, Alonso. I mean, I I try to compare him to Aaron Judge because he broke Judge's rookie home run record and Judge actually pretty much backed it up. Like he you knew that he was going to be worse, right? So Judge in his rookie yeah. season, which was his technically rookie season, but he did play a little bit the year before. Um he batted 284 with 52 home runs. And then the next year he batted 278 with 27 home runs, but he got hurt. His slugging percentage went down from 627 to 528. However, before he hurt his wrist, he hit two eighty five and he slugged five forty eight. So while he did not have this like unbelievable year, he still had a nine forty seven OPS before his wrist injury. And he basically backed it up. And so yeah. Alonzo, considering he was the number three first baseman, like if he has a similar season to Judge, I'm not saying he will, but if he does, that would be a pretty damn good thing. He would still have a really good year.
3: And I think he will have a really good year. I, I would be shocked if he hits less than 40 homers, but that's still a big drop-off from 53. You know, the a big difference between him and Judge is Judge is, like, one of the... I, I'm not going to go as far as to say he's an outlier because there are a couple hitters there with him, but in terms of how hard they impact the ball, um, Judge is in a different class from Alonzo, and that's why you look at Alonzo's home run total and think, well, is that is that really something he's going to be sustained? Is be able to sustain every year fifty plus homers, and I, no. I think it's I think it's right to be skeptical of that. He's a really good power hitter, but that would you know we don't see a lot of players in the history of baseball hitting fifty homers year after year. That 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 kind of th- there's a reason for that, and I think because you don't see in the skills uh, Pete Alonso being that kind of historic outlier, you shouldn't expect that kind of historic outlier production.
1: Okay. So the near lead is Alonzo, Rizzo, Josh Bell, LeMahieu, Muncie, Olsen, and Santana. I'm going to resist the urge to make this just the first base preview and talk about all these guys because I want to get to second base as well. So I guess we should, let's move on, I guess, to the next best things. because um, we're how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine deep. So now we go to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Goldschmidt, Yasmani Grandal. And look, you're going to play LeMahieu at second most likely. Are you going to play Grandal at catcher? Obviously, but these guys are all eligible first. So, Goldschmidt, Grandal, Reese Hoskins, Jose Abreu, and Trey Mancini. So, at this point, Scott, you know, you, how do you feel about this group? The next best things: Goldschmidt, Grandal, Reese Hoskins, Jose Abreu, Trey Mancini. If you wait at first base, you could be looking at guys like this.
3: Yeah, and I think it would be disappointing if you ended up with this as your first baseman, Goldschmidt is ranked higher that like his ADP is higher than this. Um, and you know, there's a lot of hope for a bounce back season for him to a degree. The batted ball data supports it, but I mean his, his production was so lacking compared to the group ahead of him last year. Um, and the fact that he's in his mid thirties now, I just think it's a little too rosy of an outlook to, to tear him with that, that group ahead of him. I, I, I couldn't, in my mind, justify taking him over any of those others, so I felt like I had to tier him lower. Um, Is it just batting average for him though? Because I mean, he look he hit thirty four
1: home runs. That's three straight years and four out of five with thirty three to thirty six homers. Uh, he doesn't steal anymore. We know that three steals, mm-hmm. but he hit two sixty after three straight years of hitting two ninety 290 to two ninety seven. Yeah, I, I mean
3: batting average and upside, overall upside. I think. Uh, you know, the the group ahead of him, they all stand out in some way other than the power. Or if it's just the power, it's it's like an extreme level of power, like in the case of Alonzo and Olsen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I don't like Goldschmidt as much. I, I'd be curious to what what Chris thought.
2: I'm mostly with you. I, I have trouble at this point seeing uh, a real bounce back. There's been some skills erosion over the last couple of years, and, uh, you know, I think Each of the last two seasons, we saw he was sort of able to turn it around, but last year the turnaround came later in the year and it wasn't as dramatic. He wasn't able to pull himself out of there like he was in 2018. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, with Goldschmidt, I just think we are seeing him, you know, kind of get closer to the end of the road. And the fact that there doesn't seem to be much stolen base potential there, especially. Yeah, really scares me off.
3: Meanwhile, I'm pretty much buying into like Trey Mancini, who isn't nearly as popular of a pick in fantasy. He seems to be getting the treatment players get a lot of times after a breakout when they're presumed to be beyond their prime. Uh, they just tend to get written off in fantasy, just because I I I'm frankly not sure why. I, I guess it's just, uh, people see um. You know, people would expect it to happen sooner, and it do, and because it happens at the stage it happens, they're they're reluctant to believe in it. But it's not his first breakout. Like, he had showed yeah. not quite last year, although... But he improved his and, launch angle. Yeah. I mean, it, he, he, it seemed like the skills improved. Like, but, if the skills back up the, yeah. the mid-career breakthrough, I'm going to, for the most part, buy into the mid-career breakthrough.
2: But what I was also saying is, like, he does... He did show the floor before. Like, he did yeah. show the skill set in 2017 he regressed in 2018 but you know it didn't come out of nowhere it wasn't like uh sure you know a, a Danny Santana where he just had been nothing before yeah. turning into a, a useful player last year where, right you know it's it's a little harder to buy into like maybe a Max Muncie.
3: I I guess off of
2: 2018. I guess the difference
3: is 2017 Mancini who had a good year I looked at the the s- supporting skills and thought eh. I don't know that he can sustain that. And now I look at them and I think, yeah, well maybe he can. So I'd you know, if if I'm settling for Goldschmidt as my first baseman, I might as well settle for Trey Mancini because I feel like the the bottom out risk is similar for both. And the upside, it seems like, is similar for both too. And, and they're probably
1: they're probably going very very <laughs> yeah. differently in drafts, right?
3: Right. Yeah. Okay, right. so let's
1: check it out. Goldschmidt on fantasy pros right now is going sixty third. Mancini's going hundred and fourth. So, big big discount there. All right, so uh, we'll, we, I'll read you some more names here, and then we'll kind of sum up first base. After Goldschmidt, Grandal, Hoskins, Abreu, and Mancini, you've got the fallback options, Yuli Gurriel, Edwin Encarnacion, and Danny Santana. And then after that, the last resorts, Luke Voigt, Jacques, Jacques Peterson, Yandy Diaz, Christian Walker, Joey Votto. We've got some deep, deep, deep league names you can check out. All these articles, by the way, Tiers at every position. They are up on the website. Go to CBSSports.com/fantasy. Click on baseball. You'll see all these tiers. Um, so yeah, after this next best things, we got Gurriel and Carnacion and Danny Santana. If you were gonna like, do you feel
3: like getting Bellinger or Freeman is really important to you? It's uh, for the most part. I'm I'm not going to be playing the position scarcity game much because I I don't think the 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 distribution of talent at the positions, at the the stage we're at here in 2020 really supports it. I think there's enough to go around at every infield spot in a standard 12-team league. Uh, but, you know, it, it helps break ties, like in the case of Freeman and Arenado that I pointed to earlier. Mm-hmm. It's it's enough for me to opt for Freeman. Um, it's It elevates Lemayhew and Muncie to a degree that they're... Uh, Eligible at second base, that's where you're more likely to draft them to play, and that's one of the few positions
2: where you could potentially get left out. That's more about the eligibility bonus than a scarcity bonus for me.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to mention Danny Santana. kind of like Carlos Santana. The two Santanas, how about that? Yeah. Uh, Carlos Santana drops a tier in points leagues. Danny Santana drops a tier in... Roto leagues, and that's indicated in the article. So if if you were playing in a points league, it would just be Yuli Gurriel and Edwin Encarnacion in that fallback options tier. Um, and, my, and people might take exception to having Yuli Gurriel that low, but you know, from my perspective, it was his production was so focused on a two month stretch in July and August, and he's way, over thirty
2: five, way, way outlier for his career. Yeah. Yeah, now, so, that's that's the one. Astro, I won't be drafting.
1: Yeah, I do think that Danny Santana's production was pretty concentrated. Well, like he had a great April, fifty nine at bats. Mm-hmm. Terrible May, great June, great July, terrible August, terrible September. Pretty, eh, I wouldn't say terrible, but not good. Um, yeah, although he did eight, hit eight home runs in August it came with a one ninety five batting average, though, that
2: just that kind of just sounds like a season to me, though.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Plus, his playing time was so sporadic that I think it's hard. harder yeah. hard to do. And a lot president.
2: of the underlying stats back him up. Um, and He's another guy who you might not play at first base. He's eligible at multiple positions, right?
3: No, actually, just well, outfield, first base and
2: outfield and second base. Uh, 17 games to play at second base. No, he needs yes, 20. It's it's 20 to carry it over. Oh, come on, Chris. What a, a dumb. That's the dumbest thing said <laughs> on the podcast
1: today. All right, let's oh. go over to second base. <laughs> second base tears. So you're off the hook, Adam. Yeah. All right. Uh, the uh, the elites. Boy, I I look at this and I freaking hate second base. I gotta say, Scott. I don't just like. I actually like. The, I like the value at second base. I may be a little hesitant to well, uh, invest early in second base, but I don't think you there, have to based on ADP.
3: There are a lot of potential breakout options at second yes, base. Like yes. It could end up being just as, as deep as any other infield position, but you, there comes a point where you're, somebody in your league is forced to take a chance on roll the dice on somebody there. and uh, You'd rather it not be you. You'd rather feel good about your second base option going into the season, but you'll see it right from the very top. I had a super elite tier at first base that consisted of just Cody Bellinger, but still, I don't at second base. It's missing that top tier. It starts with the elite. It's one of just two positions, I think, three if you count reliever, I guess, that doesn't have that super elite tier, catcher, reliever, the others, and those are positions that historically we consider shallow. So uh, second base is is with them, at least for this year.
1: Okay, so the the elite at second base, Cattell Marte and Jose Altuve. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, So I, no
2: first-round possibilities at second base, clearly. Maybe not even second. There, there might not be any second-rounders
3: yeah. in your draft. I mean, I, have, I rank both Marte and Altuve at the end of my second round, but um, I know ADP doesn't have Cattell Marte going that early. It has him, like, in round four. And I'm guessing it doesn't have Altuve going that early either.
2: 30th.
1: Yeah. He's going 44th, uh, Cattell Marte. Scott and I talked a lot about Cattell Marte. Chris, I'd like to know how you feel about him. He was uh, the number 16 hitter in fantasy last year, batted 329 with 32 home runs and 10 steals, 36 doubles,
2: and 9 triples. He. Uh, so I'm working on a position preview series that'll be out hopefully by the end of this, this week on cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Check it out. Good site. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I wrote little capsules for every player. And basically what I wrote with K- Kettle Marte, Kettle Marte, <laughs> if you buy into the advanced stats, you buy into Marte. He was 94% on stat cast expected a- average, uh, 86% in expected slugging percentage. It mostly, the advanced stats mostly back up what he did. So it's just a question of if you believe in those, you're going to buy into him. And, you know, I tend to believe in them I, I don't think i'm quite as high on him as, as scott is but i uh, i i apparently am a uh advanced stats fanatic which here, is what you I would are never well, you what's are. interesting <laughs> is Marte was one of those guys a lot like josh bell last season where i actually liked him as a sleeper coming into the season he way outperformed my expectations and i expect a little regression um but it wouldn't surprise me if he was mostly as good as he was last year yeah no i hear that and you were Right about Josh Bell. I
3: mean, he clearly regressed in the second half, even though it's the adva- advanced stats backed up what he was doing in the first half.
2: Marte was even better. Yeah, Marte half. got
3: better, so that I mean, I I, I would think that would help uh, codify those stats, but maybe not. Maybe not. Okay, so would you know as
1: you look at second base right now? Do you think it makes sense to go with Cattell Marte or Jose Altuve or wait and get a value because the next tier, the near elite, is a big one. Glaber Torres, Ozzy Albies, Whit Merrifield, DJ LeMahieu, Jonathan VR, Keston. The only Hira. in Roto. Oh, okay, VR only in Roto. Kestin yep. Hira, Max Muncie, and Jeff McNeil. That's a big tier right there. Again, I'll read it. Glaber, Albies, Merrifield. What a weird. He had crap last year. Jeez. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, VR only in Roto. Hira, Muncie, and McNeil. Maryfield just completely lost the steals. Basically, what do you, yes. what are you doing? Second if, with base,
2: him? <laughs> second base. This is what I wrote in my position preview. That it's kind of the island of misfit toys uh, in in baseball right now, or it's kind of the spare parts drawer. Like a lot of teams just kind of th- are willing to just throw dudes at second base, and so over the last couple of seasons, we've seen where like. Five years ago, Max Muncie and Mike Moustakas and Travis Shaw never ever would have played second base. And maybe even three years ago, it would have been kind of unheard of. And now teams are kind of willing to throw it. So it's, it's like a weirdly deep position. Uh, it just, this, this, the near elite tier kind of exemplifies what a, what a strange position it is. Cause there's not like one type of player. There's not like one type of skill that you can get. It's kind of all over the place. Um, but I will say I I think I probably like Jonathan VR more than the uh, the consensus, and I'll draft him a lot in roto. Okay, Marlins. Yeah, yeah. total homer pick. <laughs> Long time beloved Miami Marlin Jonathan VR. <laughs> when I have a guy, <laughs> when I have a guy uh, a
3: tier higher in roto, as is the case with VR, as was the case with Danny Santana, usually stolen bases are the reason. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not to say a stolen base guy can't be as valuable in points leagues. In Whit Merrifield's case, I think he absolutely is because he hits a lot of doubles. He doesn't strike out much. He has some points league-specific skills there. Uh, but in VR's case, you know, his, his draft status, I think, is mostly dependent on his ability to run a lot. And that's going to mean playing a lot and hitting well. Uh, I think his chances of doing that are probably just as good with the Marlins as they were with the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, but still it's uh you know, this wouldn't be the first time he picked us out. So I'm I'm a little reluctant to buy into him. I feel like you can get your steals other places. I think you don't need that many steals to be competitive in the category and that's something a lot of people are forgetting right now when you see see how early these steals guys go. Right. You don't have to um, win the
1: category. Right. Right, but and, but taking uh, a guy, You know, with
3: Merrifield, you talked about the drop-off in steals for him last year. He went from leading the majors to having 20. Yeah. Okay, 20 is still a lot of steals.
1: Yeah, and he didn't have a great percentage, only 30, 30 attempts, 20 steals, so maybe better percentage is more like 23, 24, I don't know. But um, look, steals are a little fickle, which is why, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I was sort of on the Christian Yelich ahead of Mike Trout. Uh, I was kind of driving it. I was maybe the only one. Yeah. Um, But I can't do that because I just don't know year to year how many bases a guy is going to steal. It's just too unpredictable. We have too many examples of a player that you are banking on for steals, and it just doesn't happen. Two years ago, I remember taking Jose Altuve in in our auction Roto League. I took Altuve and someone else that was like him. And I got steals locked up, and they both just stunk, basically, in steals. So you just never know. Right.
3: And uh, that's another reason why you can't – I don't feel like you can invest too heavily in it is – is you know, it's well,
2: – go ahead. That's why I like VR as kind of a happy medium where I don't have to spend the first-round pick. Obviously, you probably are going to have to spend a third, maybe fourth-round pick yep. in a Roto League, but he's not just a specialist. That's not to say that he's good, <laughs> uh, but – He may not be just a specialist. He wasn't just a specialist last season. 16 16
1: of his 24 home runs were at home. He's going from Baltimore to Miami. I know they're moving the defenses in.
2: But over the last two seasons, he's averaged 19 homers per season. He's hit 268 overall,
1: 38
2: stolen bases. That's good. Like, it's not like 268's not good. He hit 260 in 2018, but if he hits 260 again this season and plays, Mm -hmm. you know, gets 650 plate appearances. That's probably not going to be a bad investment for my stolen base guy. Probably not. Like it's that's all that's about the steals. Thing, I'm though. not worried about playing time with the Marlins.
3: It's all about steals. Like, he has to steal bases.
2: He, he and he
3: probably will. I I just don't know if he's going to hit well. Like particularly with in terms of batting yeah, I'm average. just not picking it
2: in. Like that's yeah. with my other with the the team that I drafted in and that draft I've talked about. I started with Bregman and and Freeman. It, it even even as bad
3: as the Marlins are if he's hitting the Rs hitting 220 i mean i was making the same argument for the or- when he was with the Orioles last year and obviously it, it didn't happen he had a great year but you know if he's hitting 220 uh and he's obviously not a part of their
2: future it's just only happened once in 4 years okay you know like he did have that one really bad season and we it burned us because he was like a second round pick coming off mm-hmm. that 62 steal season but i feel like we're kind of overlooking that three out of the last four years he really has been the kind of one of of them was a part-timer so right right but he really has been the kind of player who would like that team i started bregman freeman vr springer Mm -hmm. i don't care if if vr hits 240 i'm fine yeah
3: no and and the thing is
1: pitching sucks though wait who'd you bregman who
2: freeman vr and oh yeah
3: you got some bad pitching (laughs) <laughs> all right so no, no let's, um, uh, let's let's um, let's let's move it ultimately on ultimately what this tier says is you're not supposed to pay up for glaber torres that's what <laughs> yeah, this I very large that, tier see says. that
1: and that's the thing like i actually i really feel like torres could be someone who is hurt by a new baseball if that happens because he's basically just home runs but i really think there's a chance he's a superstar he's 23 yeah. years old he's He's great. He could. All he of could these be elite. Great though, are great. Uh, That's what I'm saying. well, I don't. I mean, like he's a better hitter than Whit Merrifield. He's a better hitter than Jonathan VR. You know, like Gleyber Torres well, has in, superstar. In what potential. way is he
3: better than Whit Merrifield? Because Whit Merrifield is right up there in Freddie Freeman. Whit Merrifield hit sixteen home runs. of a line runs? drive hitter they are, He hits sixteen and how home runs. for average?
1: He's, he's not even going to hit twenty home runs in the, the home run era. You could give that man steroids and a juice baseball. He's going to hit less than twenty home runs. Uh, yeah. Labor's going to hit more than thirty.
3: That matters. no I, is a much better labor lineup. Torres has more power. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to argue that. But I think their overall production is going to be similar. It was this past year, even yeah, yeah. in a down year but of first for Steal Torres with is Maryfield. 23.
1: Torres is 23. That's an arrow pointing up.
3: You know, okay. Mer- Merrifield's peaking.
1: I would say.
2: Yeah, it's like, I don't want to draft Glaber, but I don't want to be the guy who makes the argument against him. <laughs> like, I don't want to be on record. Like, when, when you're that good, that young, yeah. like, okay, maybe he overperformed a little bit. Maybe he had five more. Like, it, 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 it the the skills increase could come so rapidly that it doesn't matter.
1: Right. That's true. So you mentioned all the upside, and there's the next best things, Mike Mustakas and Eduardo Escobar, and then after that, the fallback options, Kevin Biggio, Gavin Lux, Tommy Edmund Garrett Hampson. Then you got Ryan McMahon and Brandon Lau as last
3: resorts. Uh, Who are you most excited about, Scott? Oh, most excited about probably three fallback options who I think could take a big step forward, and by this time next year we're talking about them as near-elite players themselves. And, well, really all four of them you could say that about. But the ones I'm most excited about are Biggio, Edmund and Garrett Hampson. Gavin Lux may have the most upside of all of them, but he doesn't have a job yet and he has to prove himself in the majors still. But what I actually saw from Biggio, Edmund and Hampson in the majors, particularly late in the year, um, they all look like players who could impact four categories at least. I'm not going to say Biggio could hit for average. Uh, and Hampson's power and Edmonds' power, I think, could be more Whit Merrifield like than, you know, 30 homer ish. But still, there's some power there for each of them, and they both run a lot. They both profile to hit for average. And that's a, that's a nice find at a weak position uh, in the middle stages of a, a roto draft, especially. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it goes back to what I was saying at the start of this position. None of them are proven. None of them has a full season track record of being a starting caliber player even. So there's some question marks there, but definitely upside if you do miss out on the the safe second baseman.
2: I'm really talking myself into Biggio. I was skeptical of him. I don't necessarily love his approach at the plate. I know one of the big draws for him is that he walked so much last season and he you know, never really swung at pitches out of the strike zone. There There are a lot of things to like about that, but... I I'm worried that it's more he just doesn't like to swing than that he has it, this yeah. like great I mean, that's, eye at the plate.
3: That is noted.
2: Yeah. And the one thing I will say is, first of all, you could you could look at Alex Bregman and their swing profiles actually look very similar. I think Alex Bregman was the only player who swung at fewer pitches, uh, overall than Cam Bijou or it was really close. I would also say that it was very similar to where Juan Moncada was this last this time last season, where he walked a lot, but he struck out too much. And it, was, it wasn't it was because he swung and missed a lot. It was because he just didn't swing. And it led to him passing on pitches that he should swing at, putting himself in question in and disadvantage, disadvantageous counts. And in Moncada's case, the batted ball skills and base running skills were so clearly elite that just a slight improvement in his uh, aggressiveness turned into this big breakout that I mostly believe in. I think we could see something with similar with Biggio. And if it does happen, you're looking at a profile that could look a lot like Matt Carpenter with 20 steals, which is insane.
0: Mm. All
1: right, yeah. So second base is exciting. Uh, could be some players that really emerge. It's not necessarily exciting at the top. Oh, yeah, you know, you never know. Uh, it should be noted that Jose Altuve in the second half had the second half of a lifetime. Uh post All-Star break he had a 994 OPS. He batted 325 he slugged 622. So maybe he's awesome again.
3: We'll see. Oh, and Chris is trying to get your attention. What
1: what's up?
2: No, I was doing I was doing a bit. Oh, what was Oh, bit? you're banging on a garbage can. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, I felt something I like that. buzzed my oh.
1: shoulder.
3: I didn't know that was Nobody you. was banging on garbage cans in the second half of last year. That doesn't mean they weren't cheating in other ways. That's right. That have yet to fully reveal themselves, but <laughs> that's right. We'll, we'll
1: see what I happens with that.
2: I couldn't give you an electric shock nah, from I'm, over
3: here. Yeah. We'll work on it.
1: Okay. So prospects and emails. I don't know. Should we just save prospects for tomorrow? Scott, I'd hate to shortchange it. Well, we don't have to talk about Arenado and Ozuna. Maybe there won't be breaking news tomorrow.
3: Whatever, Adam. This is your ship. Okay. Steer us into the horizon. Then we'll save it for tomorrow. That way we
1: can, you know, dedicate a good amount of time to it. Emails from Greg in Brewster, New York. I am in an auction dynasty league. We can keep up to 12 players. Head-to-head categories. It's 12 categories. Prior to each year's auction, we have a three-round prospect draft. This year I'm picking number five. Do you have any idea who I should take? Keep in mind, if the player does not log one at-bat or inning pitched, they will be thrown back into the following year's draft. And I'm assuming Gavin Lux will be kept. I know Kibum and McKay will be dropped, so they will be draft eligible. I'm, a- I'm asking you this, Scott, because we do have a prospect draft coming up this week. So you yeah. the, got the fifth pick, but
2: you need someone who's going to play at least one at-bat or one inning in the majors. Oh, man. And so it means that anybody who didn't play one at-bat or one pitch in the majors last season is available, right? Yes. Am I reading that right? Uh, wh- uh, I mean, unless... Y- yeah, yes, it would have to be. Okay. All right.
3: So, Luis Robert's going to be taken by the fifth pick. Joe Adele's going to be taken. Um, he mentions here... Wander Franco is going to be taken. Well, Wander is probably not getting in at-bat in the majors next year. So maybe not.
2: Yeah. Raise our
3: patience. Uh, he mentions here Carter Kiboom and and uh, Brendan McKay will be dropped and draft eligible. And I was just reading today actually that it sounds like Carter Kiboom is the favorite for the Nationals' third base job. Not just getting a chance, but the favorite. Dave Martinez, the Nationals' manager, is, seems to already be selling as Drupal Cabrera, who was the presumptive favorite on the idea of being a utility player. Carter Kiboom, I'm pretty sure he's in my top 10 prospects. So I I would I would think at 5th overall in a in a draft like this where you know, you know some of my top 10 are going to be kept already and you know some just aren't going to meet the qualification of it at bat. Carter Kiboom sounds like he might be a nice fit there. Okay. Beautiful.
1: Let's move on to our next question. Justin in Toronto. I play in a dynasty head-to-head points league and I hoped you could rank these pitchers available in my upcoming draft for both this year and the long term. Frankie Montas, Max Freed, Brendan McKay, Denelson Lamette, and Zach Gallen. Uh, so Montas, Max Freed, Brendan McKay, and Zach Gallen. Also, uh, uh, sorry, Scott. Also, uh, my bad. Also on the off chance, Nate Pearson falls to me, all Blue Jays fans. Would his ceiling be worth taking over any of them?
3: No, I think the ceilings are high enough for at least most of these players that he would not be at the top of the list for me. Uh, You know, bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? Correct. Frankie Frankie Montas. It is true, I mean. What am I going to say? It's true. Okay. Thank you for supporting my cliche there. Uh, Frankie Montas is still on the right side of 30, and I believe in the breakthrough he had last year. So, you know, he looked like an ace before the suspension. And I don't expect him to drop off because of the PED suspension because rarely does any player ever do that. So, yeah, Montas would be number one for me. Zach Gallon, I love his upside. He'd be number two. This is for this year or this is for forever? This is for this year, but I, I'm saying none of these guys are at a stage of their career where you really worry about them yeah. dropping off long term.
2: And it's 10 you know.
3: You're
1: taking Frankie Montas, who was a huge surprise last year, over like Brendan McKay. Who is an elite prospect?
2: Yeah. That's he's interesting. Like, he's like the kind of elite prospect who is was really, really close to the majors as soon as he was drafted. Yeah. And was a really like high probability pick, but not necessarily and like it, I'm the there's no such thing as a pitching prospect guy, so like any of these guys could turn into a into, you know Brendan McKay could make a Frank Frankie Montas leap next year, and it wouldn't shock me. But, Brendan, Brendan McKay – oh, sorry. I thought you were – No, nah, go, go. Brendan McKay has um,
3: <laughs> dominated the minors thoroughly, like Chris was saying. I mean, yeah. full arsenal, great control. Does he have a genuine put-away pitch? That seems to be the question, and, and that partially explains his struggles in the majors last year. And while I do think he has a fine career ahead of him, again, do I have to repeat the cliche, Adam? Frankie Montas actually looked like an ace – the time he was pitching last what year. What was the cliche?
2: Uh, the bird in the <laughs> hand. There's only one blue jay in this question though. So right. how do we get to two in the bush? I think I would no? take nobody. <laughs> I might take Pierce over McKay to be honest.
1: Alright, let's do it. Motos because just one, as proven I mean. Motos
3: won.
2: Yeah Motos won, Gallon two for me, and then I think there was a little bit of a gap.
3: Yeah. I'd probably go Freed 3 and then maybe Pearson McKay over LeMet. But I think you could justify going LeMet as high as 3, honestly. Okay. It's pretty, pretty tight there at the end.
1: This is from Rick. I'm just getting back into fantasy baseball for the year. My league I've been in since I was 14, 23 years. Saw a decrease in interest over the past few years, more than half the league. So I ended it, and I'm going to start a new league with about half the guys from the old league. It seemed like we had our best years when we played head-to-head categories with wild, wild west rules.
3: Oh, my gosh. What does that mean?
1: So that means that uh, no innings limits, minimum or maximum, right? And no pitching pitching designations, just no relievers or starters, just pitchers. Okay. So, right? That's how I interpret
3: that. So everybody could have their pet strategy that uh, they brag about. Right. that kept everybody interested, I my, guess.
1: My question is, how should I set up the categories in a way that doesn't just totally devalue starting pitchers? In the past, no one would draft a starting pitcher until at least the three to four round or the closers were gone, and then people would wake up at 3 a.m. when you could start picking up streamers for the day, which was cool in its own way but shouldn't be the requirement. So if we did no, six by six, what categories should we add?
3: Um, Quality
1: starts. I think it
2: should, be, it should be a rate stat, I think not a uh, because basically what 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 you're trying to to prevent against is just picking up streamers and dominating the counting stats and Mm -hmm. so if you add like a k per nine let's say you've created a situation where three of the six pitching categories now are rate stats and you don't you aren't quite as uh as advantaged by just streaming every piece of crap you can throw all right
3: so that definitely reduces the value of the pieces of Crap, which is a large percentage
2: <laughs> of the pitcher pool uh
3: these days. Um but it still helps relievers still, Yeah, it still helps relievers disproportionately to starting pitchers. So um Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a good answer off the top of my head. Uh I don't know if maybe
1: What's wrong with what's wrong with requiring Some starting pitchers. I I mean, I, I play in a really good league that's, I think, three starting pitchers, three relievers, and two pitcher spots, or maybe it's two, two, and three, or something like that. I don't know the best way to do it when there are no stipulations between starters and relievers. I mean that's
3: the most direct way to do it, but he's saying it doesn't sound. You don't like want he to do that. All right, good. so let's let's pick six categories I don't know if something then.
2: like having yeah. well strikeouts.
3: Like, like strikeouts is well, strikeouts is helps. too important
2: to just do it off the. You could out. go away from K per nine and do like win loss record, like win loss ratio.
1: Could do that. All right, so let's pick our categories. S- saves is a category. ERA, WHIP, they're a category. Strikeouts is a category. That's four. You need either wins or quality starts. That's yeah. five. Probably quality starts, right? Because that kills relievers. And, you know, they could get some wins here and there. Um, and then what's your sixth category? I mean, is it wins? Is it, is it the other one of wins and quality
3: starts? Well.
2: Is it innings? No, because I think you're giving too much weight to the streamers there. That's true. That's the thing. You, the,
3: the five categories are balanced.
2: But you know what? I don't. I don't know well. about that
3: because and I, I'm, the streamers are going to hurt
1: your ERA and your WHIP
2: often, right? But now you've added an extra counting stat. You could just punt ERA and WHIP because there's four counting. Stats. Like I'm thinking of a rate stat
3: like K per nine, but then you're having strikeouts and K per nine. Is that that's why I'm too thinking much, putting too much emphasis on that missers?
2: Maybe you get rid of wins, do wins losses, and then do like win loss ratio, and then do quality starts which I believe you can do win-loss ratio in a CBS league. Not 100% sure. Don't quote me on that. Not the kind of thing I should know.
1: Yeah. Well, this is why I don't like Wild Wild West because it just – I mean, starting pitchers is the hardest thing. It's like – it's such a big part of fantasy and you basically don't need them in that – Yeah.
3: I mean, that seems – crazy. That seems lame. I mean, he's saying people enjoyed it more that way. But that that just – like to exclude that big a part of baseball – just seems we're gonna get not an email in the spirit of playing fantasy baseball. We're
2: gonna gonna get gonna get an email telling us that we're idiots and there's an obvious answer that has already been around for 15 years and doesn't yeah. exist. I look forward to that fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. Chris.Towers at CBS Interactive. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. So,
1: uh, Chris, <laughs> by the way,
2: actually, the, I said the dumbest
1: thing on today's show. Chris said the dumbest thing on the other day's show. When was that? When was your last show? Friday. Friday. Yeah. Friday. Well, you weren't here. Chris for is us. like. Now's a great time to get your emails in cuz we don't have that many. We, have you seen our inbox, dude? We well,
2: get, relatively speaking, oh, we, we don't have a lot.
1: that many. We get a lot. All right, here's a question for Scott from Josh. My 2019 ranking among MLB pitchers. Swinging strike rate, swinging strike rate 16th. Ground ball rate 14th best. K per 9 24th. FIP 30th. XFIP 19th. K rate 24th. Walk rate 8th. WHIP 24th. Sierra 17th and I'm not in Scott's top 125 starters. Why no love for Armand Marquez?
3: Um, Did you do your... Did you check on this email, Adam? Did you check the work? No, I didn't at all.
1: I sent this to you
3: <laughs> w- I, a
1: minute before. The I show. Would be... He's not in your top 125? That can't be. <laughs> he was in your top one last year.
2: Yeah, he's your number 156 player overall. Maybe they mean Domingo Armand?
3: Um, they mean, they mean Herman Marquez. For some reason, he's not showing up in my starting pictures. I'm going to have to see what happened there. Uh, Technical difficulties. That (laughs) was something glitchy that happened on the upload, which was done in an indirect way. Where is he?
1: Where is he in your, uh,
3: theoretical rankings? Um, all right, let me, let me refresh my memory here. He is, I think around 45th. In my starting pitcher rank, you're between Mike Miner and Dallas Keuchel. That Looks sounds right, right to me. Oh my uh, god, which would be 44th. Dallas Keuchel's the worst.
1: All right, cool. That's Armand Marquez. He's 44th. Thank you for the email, Josh. Jeff in Brooklyn, as a pessimistic, pessimistic Mets fan. Gee, I don't know why. And a fantasy baseball player. I'm curious to hear what you all think about the Mets 2020 bullpen. Is there anyone you would want to draft even in the middle rounds? Can Diaz bounce back? Is Patances going to return to his pre-injury self? Is Seth Lugo a top pick in a holds league that I play in? Is there anything else worth noting?
2: All of the Edwin Diaz. Give me all of the Edwin Diaz. He's 132nd overall in this early ADP at that price. Give me give me all of the guy who was going 80 spots higher this time of year. ago. Yes, Agreed. he had a terrible season. Yes, he couldn't throw his slider. Whatever. Give me that, and I'll pray for the bounce back. I, I think that's one of the easier calls if I can get him.
3: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. He's he's a top 12 reliever for me, but I don't... Does anyone know for sure that he's the Mets closer this year? I mean, he didn't finish last year in the role. Seth he's Lugo had a be. great year. I would guess. I mean, I'm ranking him ahead of Seth Lugo, but... Um, Obviously if he's not. You don't you don't want to invest over invest in him because then you could wind up with
2: all of the end mid round X. pick
3: on a non safe source, which doesn't work in a traditional league. But they could have a really good bullpen. I mean they could, yeah. There the the re- part of the reason he's still that high in my rankings, even without knowing, is because there are question marks and all kinds of bullpens. There there is a clear front runner in most of them, but just the way the role is handled this year with it being divided between so many relievers. Uh, you know, Do I feel that confident in Emilio Pagan of the Rays or Brandon Workman of the Red Sox? No, and I just found out today sounds like Carlos Martinez is g- going... The expectation is he's going to be back in the, the rotation this year for the Cardinals. So that removes another clear-cut choice. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos would be my first guess for who takes his place, but there are other options there. Um, including I maybe Alex Reyes.
1: I always like to prioritize, not prioritize, I always like to consider uh, job security. And so I do like gambling on Diaz, but he's got Batances and Lugo that they could go to. Batances is coming back from, I think, three injuries. So it's a lot to ask, but he was on the very short list of best relievers in baseball for like four straight years. So I don't know that uh, that there's a lot of closers who are on shakier ground than Diaz. But at the discount, yeah, I mean, the upside is certainly there. If they change the baseball and they change the seams in particular, that could really help him with his slider. Because I, I have heard people talk about that, that the seams like that Tanaka, for example, had a lot of trouble with his splitter because of the s- seams. And I think that was the reasoning for Diaz. At least I saw that. Um you know for him not being able to throw his slider, so makes sense to take I, a
3: gamble I'm, on him. Yeah, I'm kind of of the mindset, and this is changing the subject a little, that they're not going to change the baseball at least, not consciously, because their own research findings were that it was a manufacturing variability. And these baseballs are, I think, hand stitched or something, so it you
1: can't do I, I this. Believe- you cannot do this at the end of a podcast. This is for the beginning believe, of a podcast.
2: I believe Hanlon's razor applies to everything when it comes to MLB uh, these days, which is uh, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. I think you mean right. and Especially with the baseballs, I don't think they have any idea what's happening.
1: I don't know about that. I think that they changed in the postseason. Seems like a lot of people think that, and, uh, but there
2: was like an explanation that they pulled that from a different batch that was created in the middle of the production pro- it, Like, you I don't know, like were so you were peddling all these
1: conspiracy theories almost sarcastically on Friday with Heath. They are and, and they, they are, are
3: hand sewn. They are hand sewn these baseballs, and so you can't expect great precision. The research showed that is it is like I don't even know what. Place decimal place it is that percentage of change in the seam height can have a drastic impact on how far the balls fly. So it just seems like total random luck that. Oh my you know, we've seen baseball stitches turn out this way the past few seasons. Scott is such a pawn. Maybe they turned out slightly differently He's in such the postseason. A,
1: a pawn in Rob Manfred's game. I didn't realize it <laughs> until right now. We're out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Back tomorrow with another uh, edition of Fantasy Baseball Today.